This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network, episode 2612 for February 4th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by ProStride the American, and the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world. Well, the driving episode is back. We are here the first Thursday of every month with Dr. Wendy, and she took last month off. We only give her one month off every year because um, she doesn't work hard enough, so we have to keep her going. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dr. Wendy, thanks for doing this again. You, You have booked a very full show today. We have a great show today. We have Kathleen Hake from the CAA, the Carriage Association of America, and Gary Grisham from the Hawaii Driving Club, and they're talking about the Royal Carriages of Hawaii. And Glenn, how the how does Barry know so much about driving? Barry Dickinson, you mean? Yes. Yeah, who's you been a regular how? guest on our shows for ten years? Yeah, he's lived through all of these like fun times. During his days with famed hackney trainer Cynthia Hayden, Barry actually showed the hackney horse stallion Cambridge Cole, who was the father of the modern Dutch harness horse. So he's going to relive those fun moments of How his past. How old is he? About 120? Or is this yeah, fairly recent? No. Okay. All right, just <laughs> this is in the 70s. Oh, all right. I thought, see, Back I always the thought the Dutch harness horse was newer or older than that, but guess not. No, well, I mean, it's it's the, the our sport horses. All of our sport horses have really changed drastically from like the seventies till modern day. But you have to think about it. that's fifty years. That is true. Yeah, don't I don't want to think about it to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what else is fifty years? It's Martin's auctions fiftieth anniversary. I can't believe it. It's so exciting. And Karen and Polly Martin will join us and let us know how you can attend the auction in person. Plus, there's a new online option to attend. Um, And then we have Donna K. Rule, and she shares her experience using ProStride and acupuncture to keep her champion barrel horse, High Valor, in top condition. So listen in. Jennifer and I, my wife and I, went to Martin's auction probably 30 years ago was the first time we went. And that's when I've got my, I think we actually bought something there. I I can't remember what, but it was. uh, You must have bought your pony card there. Yeah, we lived in that area. So, and I had just started getting into driving and it was like, well, let's go to this carriage auction. You know, we had heard of it and (laughs) I lived right in Lancaster County. So, you know, we. We just drove over and went to the auction for the first. That's when it was right off of, right out of Intercourse. Uh, oh, yeah. Remember, it was out of Intercourse, and uh, yeah. it was right there, right out of Intercourse and Bird in Hand, right on the main road there. And, How fun. Uh, yeah, right in the heart of Amish country then. And then they moved to Lebanon yeah. after that. Uh, Probably people would drive their carriages to the auction. Oh, yeah, they would. The Amish would because they all lived right there. <laughs> so Yeah, that's yeah. so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would. All right, well, let's get started with uh, your product feature. We start with a Chinese alternative medicine product every month, and we're talking joint pain, huh? 
Yes, we're talking about joint pain, and our product feature is a formula called Equine Do Ho. And Do Ho is the main ingredient, and it's a type of angelica herb, and it it has anti-inflammatory qualities. Um, and I know I talk about this a lot. There's different formulas that have diff- that have anti-inflammatory action. Uh, like in Western medicine, you say, oh, I have an ache and pain. I'm going to take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, right? But Or aspirin. Those are anti-inflammatories. In Chinese medicine, we look at it more of like we have a pattern, right? So this formula is for a pattern of arthritis that is a yang deficiency. And your yang, you know, we, we talk about the yin and the yang. Your yin is your air conditioner and your yang is your furnace. So as we get older, you know, sometimes geriatric animals and people can like really be affected by the cold. Either they're always cold because they have poor circulation or they're cold because they can't handle the coldness of the environment. And this equine do ho is for arthritis that has uh, young deficiency or cold science. So if your horse is like much stiffer in the winter time than in the summer, this is a good choice for you. Or like, um, if they are stiff when they first get going and then they start to warm up and feel a little bit better, that's probably indication of a young deficiency. So it's a geriatric, uh, it's a, it's a good solution for the older horse, uh, with some pain and stiffness. And there's also a formula, uh, this same formula is also used in humans. So if you have aches and pains, you can find this uh, usually at any kind of health food store. And it, it's called um, uh, Solitary Hermit, or it's also called Duho Ji Shang Tang. So it's not just for horses. It can also help your aches and pains in the wintertime. Very good. Where do they and buy you can it? Find it you can find it on my website at drwendying.com. Search for equine do at D-U-H-U-O. Well, back with us from the Carriage Association of America, we have Kathleen. And Kathleen, you have a special guest today, right? I do. Gary Grissom from the Hawaii Driving Club is joining us today, which is fantastic because I'm betting it's a lot warmer where he is than it is here in Kentucky. So, Gary, I know that you have been researching um, a very important carriage there for Hawaii, which is the Queen Liliuokalani's carriage. Is that correct? Well, close. Queen Liliuokalani, and it's her personal carriage, and she was the last queen of in the Kingdom of Hawaii. It was around 1891, I believe. Close. Uh, the carriage actually came into the Hawaiian Islands in uh, June or in January the sixth, uh, eighteen eighty, and it was obtained by uh, Queen Liliuokalani or bought by her from England. Uh, the Morgan Carriage Company built it in eighteen eighty seven in support of uh, Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee. June of uh, 1887, and they built carriages for the monarchs that were coming in and and uh, this type of thing. And uh, this carriage was, uh, shall we say, one of the excesses, if you wish, but it had uh, the Morgan Spring. Now, the Morgan Springs were patented in 1884, and these were the latest and greatest, and uh, 
just wowed the carriage world because they were so the spring system was so good that uh, the monarchy people didn't particularly like the swaying of the uh, type of spring systems that were in use at the time. So when the Morgan spring came out, oh man, it took the world by fire. And uh, Queen Lelio Kalani, who was a princess at that time, decided she had to have one for her personal uh, carriage back here in Hawaii. She did not like the uh, the state carriage, which was a Landau. And frankly, uh, according to her diary here, she got motion sickness swinging in that carriage back and forth. <laughs> and she did find the, the uh, Morgan Springs and the Morgan carriage to be quite... Uh, usable, uh, I mean, settling and everything, and she decides she had to have it. So uh, sometime after June of uh, 1887, after Queen Victoria's uh, Golden Jubilee celebration, she uh, obtained the carriage, brand new, and uh, had it shipped to Hawaii. And it came over on the bark MIN, M-I-N, but the bark uh, had some problems here and uh, coming across the North Atlantic in the winter coming around the horn was pretty prim- pragmatic to him, I believe. And she got damaged, had to come into the Azores for repair. The carriage did not get to Hawaii January the 3rd and was offloaded in January the 6th. There's a little note from the exchequer that said uh, he sent down Joe who was the head coachman, to receive the carriage there at the pier. And uh, it was her personal coat of arms that was put on it. It was her personal carriage for all those years. And she died in uh, 1917. What horses did she use to pull the carriage? Did she were, did she have a foreign hand or, or were they? Oh, no, this was, this was only a pair, but it was a standard breads from California. And do they still have the harness that went with this vehicle, Gary? Yes, they had the harness. And while she was there ordering up uh, the latest fashions and everything, she also ordered up livery. And the livery is a, well, I guess it'd be plum colored with white pants. And uh, she decked out all of the uh, the footmen and, uh, and the grooms, et cetera, et cetera, in this thing for for official state functions, like opening up parliament, that type of thing. And the driver, the head driver, uh, Joe, wore a tri-cornered hat with uh, white fluffers around it, I guess, which was the same thing that the Queen's carriage uh, driver wore. The Queen's carriage is a baroche, uh, done up, of course, in... uh, in the best style of the time. And uh, it has been, well, uh, in her use, after her death, it was given to the Bishop Museum. And the Bishop Museum did have a uh, uh, display on the second floor of the museum, which was called the Monarchy thing. And the carriage was up there at that time, about 1976, permanently started in on it. So they removed it off display, took it in to, uh, uh, in to be treated for termites, and then never was put back. It was put into a shed, and unfortunately, uh, it's still there. How much damage did the termites do to it? 
Not much. Uh, enough that the the uh, stringers on the on the driver's seat were rotted, were chewed up to the point it's unsafe. Uh, there is some damage on to the uh, door seals here where the threshold plate is, and uh, I think there is some back in the uh, on the pump handles. There was uh, some damage uh, there. Fortunately, they caught it fairly early and uh, were able to knock out the termite. But we still would like to get it uh, conserved and restored back to its you know, 1880 uh, condition. I can imagine. So if you're not familiar with Wilona Barocious, it's basically a very large, open four-wheel carriage. Um, it's the type of thing that you often see royalty in. Um, it is coachman-driven, so the passenger, or in this case a royal member of the, um, is not actually driving the horses. A coachman is, and so the coachman seat is up front. There is um, usually uh, two seats in the back, one of which faces the coachman, and then one of which has the their back to the coachman. And then it some uh, sometimes has a leather roof that you can be raised over top. I was just kind of curious, Gary. I know with the Hawaiian Driving Club, you guys are, are quite active in parades and things like that. Um, what type of vehicles yeah. do you use in the parades? Well, uh, we use, depending on the which parade it is, we use a vis-a-vis uh, with my two Frisians, the 16-1 boys. And uh, that's usually carrying the marshal or the honoree or, or whatever, you know, whatever is the the designee for the for that particular parade and then uh, the rest of it is just our club carriages a couple of uh four-wheel you know auto top uh surrey i like uh it drives very nice uh we have a uh well just about everything and then we have of course the minis the vscs and uh one of them the crowd favorite i believe is a mini donkey tattoo is his name and he usually follows up behind my 16-1 Frisians, you know, <laughs> and uh, everybody's ooh and ah, the Frisians. And then when the little tattoo sticks his ears around the carriage, they get they go all, yay, and play, you know, clapping and the whole bit there, you know. But uh, that's that's just because we, we, just, we let them uh, pick their own place in the parade if they wish, you know, wherever so, they want to go. And usually turn out around five carriages. That's fantastic. So speaking of your horses, my understanding is, mm-hmm. is you have two new ones. Right. Correct? Yes, and then the they two, came what over. we call the young boys. Yes. The young boys came over from boys California. Came from California. California. Okay. Right. And they're in the desert up there. They were born and raised. They're, five, they're uh, six and seven years old now. So they've always been fed uh, hay from hay bales and that kind of stuff. Well, I flew them over, and then the trip, of course, they got hay, uh, you know, long hay out of bales. And uh, during the short trip from the airport, about one hour, up to my place, it was uh, also gave them hay to do that. So they've been chewing on, gra- on hay now six or seven years. So when they got up here, and I offloaded them up to my place, which is just green as all get out, because uh, we get a fair amount of rain up here. And the grass is what's called Kikuya grass, which is a very, very nice grass. I mean, it's 18% protein. It's got pH levels as proper, but it has an awful lot of sugar. 
And they were not sure what the heck it was. They'd never seen grass in a big field like this before. So they were out there licking it and sniffing it and everything, but not eating. And that worried me for a bit. So I went out and bought some more hay and I slowly, slowly over the two or three weeks, uh, weaned them off the hay. And now they're eating the kikuyu grass fairly well, fairly decently. Yeah. But we go out and work them. I drive on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays and uh, try to get, uh, you know, keep them dis- keep the weight off of them, you know, that kind of thing, because of the high, uh, high sugar content of the Kikuya grass. They're still in quarantine. Our quarantine is 45 days over here. Ah. But, uh, so they cannot come within 200 feet of another horse. But I've got, uh, what, 3,900 acres up here to drive on, so we don't encounter <laughs> other horses. And I drive during the weekday. And yes. very little horse activity going Boy, on. Boy, I don't know how you can do any social time. distancing on 4,000 acres. That's almost impossible. <laughs> oh, I don't know. We can. There's only 61 families up here. so. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I think, I think uh, you guys not, got not it covered. Too bad. <laughs> That's fascinating. Well, thank you for joining yes. us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Gary. Uh, I appreciate my, it. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thanks, Gary. Uh-huh. excited to have our next guest as uh, on our TCVM segment for this month. We have Donna K. Rule, who's a professional barrel racer with an incredible story of perseverance and climbing to the top of the sport with her back-to-back AQHA Horse of the Year wins with her horse, High Valor. So welcome, Donna. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You know, uh, um, we, uh, we got your information and... Uh, from ProStride, uh, they're a big sponsor of our show, and they said that you use their products all the time. It really helps with your uh, program. Oh, absolutely. I, I tried multiple things and had uh, the great success with ProStride. And uh, how, tell us a little bit about your horse. I mean, barrel racing is so tough on horses' joints and their body. And uh, tell us a little bit about High Valor and how uh, how you got started using the pro stride and, and what you're like, uh, how often you do it. Right. Well, he is, uh, you know, I, I have a, a really probably stringent, uh, conditioning program outside of making uh, barrel racing runs. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably key to, to keeping him more sound than any other horses. And, uh, and then occasionally he'll, they'll step on something in a run or, or mm-hmm. tweak the foot. And, uh, I had some, uh, had some kind of, just low tire, something I couldn't quite put my finger on and discovered that uh, we had a little soreness issue and tried multiple things. But uh, within about three months of, of trying other stuff and we tried ProStride, uh, it, it just, it was a game changer for him. And, you know, of course it's awesome because it's a biologic and not just a gob of chemicals you're poking in joints. Right. Um, so, you know, it definitely would be my preference as a go-to for helping him. And he came right on and, uh, you know, started out the, the year a little bit slow because of soreness. And then um, then it just improved and improved and improved. And we didn't really just, just quit him. You know, of course, we were careful, but we didn't right. just quit him and turn him out. So it was it was really good for us. And so your vet uh, with the pro stride, it's all natural. So your vet just has to take some blood 
from him, uh, just like we would pull blood for like any tests or Coggins or whatever. And then they spin down that blood and then they can immediately inject it into the problem areas. So that yeah. must be good and for you. Somebody that's on the road all the time, you know, can do a quick little yeah. session. And it lasts, it lasts a long time. You know, I, I get, you know, I got about eight or nine months out of it. And, you know, we travel pretty hard on the barrel racing deal and especially mm-hmm. in the pro rodeo. i you know, I'm in Idaho one day and Oregon the next day and uh, Oklahoma and Texas and then back up north again. And, right. uh, you know, the, the travel is equally as hard as the run. And uh, I just feel like it was a game changer for him. And he oh, felt good. And he, and he didn't lose weight. And he didn't, you know, he was not ill-tempered. So yeah, it was great. And Wendy, and, uh, yeah, there's so much correlation between barrel racing and what we do in carriage driving competition horses. Yeah, like the way you have to gallop flat out and then do a really tight turn, you know, that puts so much stress on the joints. And, uh, and you, you, I mean, all horses are going to need some kind of maintenance, but I'm like you, Donna, I don't want to inject their joints with steroids. So to me, I feel like this pro stride is such a game changer for us. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing about your story and success with pro stride. Yep, I really like it. It's a great product. Thank you for having me. Well, we have the man who knows everything about everything, in my opinion. The famous Barry Dickinson. And uh, Barry, I am so excited you're on today because uh, you're going to tell us about the history of the Dutch harness horse. Because over the years, it's really changed so much uh and there was a a very exciting stallion that really was the revolution of this change so uh welcome back to the show barry i can't wait to hear all your stories well um in 1970 i went to work for frank and cynthia hayden at the shovel strode stud in east grinstead in sussex Mm -hmm. how old were you how old were you then oh i have no idea old enough to know better a baby Uh, (laughs) baby yeah, and so I went there, and of course it was paradise, because there was just, wherever you looked were hackney horses. There wasn't a place, a nook or a cranny or a paddock or a pasture that didn't have hackney horses in it, so that was just really interesting. If you're and at interested the time, in they, were like, they were big time, like, big hack- time. They, yeah, people. they were the last of the big time. And, uh, of course, it was a dealer's yard. Um, they bred uh, hackneys, horses, and hackney ponies, and they produced them, um, trained them, produced them. They showed them, exported them all over the world. Um, you know, it was it was just a three ring circus at all times. So, and in the seventies, um, can I ask a quick question? Yeah. In the seventies, like, who was the person buying a hackney horse? Well, when I was there. There, what we sold them to South Africa, mm-hmm. sold them to Portugal, sold them to Spain, sold them to Mexico, sold them to Argentina, uh, sold them to a, a lot to America, a lot to Canada, Holland, of course. Um, so well, what kind to, of client was like? Like, were they people that wanted them for strictly carriage horses, or? Yes, they were. They were. They were using them for carriage horses at that time. Yes, driving. Um, you know, at one time, way back in 1910, in that area, era, there were a lot of hackney horses sold down to Jerez in Spain, and they used them for crossing on the Andalusians. 
Oh, to get so because they wanted they were the fanciest, like fancy, like well, sports car and, horse. Yeah, or the, yes, they were the Rolls Royce of the, of the of the driving world, but also they had that supreme hind end and the fabulous hawks and the wonderful action up front, which is of course what you needed for bullfighting. You needed a very quick horse. Oh, you needed a horse with a great hind end. You know, and the Hackney had that to cross in that. So, so um, the, you know, the, the qualities that it takes to be a great harness horse, uh, they had, and uh, they were a lot of there. And and uh, you know, they went uh, stallions. The thing you have to remember when you're crossing horses, you have to use the stallion for what you're wanting to get. Mm-hmm. So, if you're wanting to breed harness horses you would cross it to a hackney. If yeah. you were wanting to breed a riding horse, you would use a thoroughbred. But you always use the stallion on top of the mare that what you want to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, like the Canadian hunter, the famous old Canadian hunter before these warm bloods all came in, was a hackney horse on a draft horse. Then you took that mare and bred her back to a thoroughbred, and that gave you your Canadian hunter. Oh, I see. So you always use the stallion of what you want, to, of what type mm-hmm. you're breeding. If it's a harness type, then you use the hackney. If you want a thoroughbred, you use you use uh, a riding type, you use a thoroughbred. And the three breeds that were sent around the world to do the improvement of all the other little local breeds were the Arab, the thoroughbred, and the hackney. Okay, that makes so sense. So that, that, that's what was, that was in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Those were the three main breeds that went, and England produced an awful lot of hackney stallions that were, uh, and a, a big type of them uh, were the artillery horses for these countries, for the, for the artillery mm-hmm. horses, because of the great right. high dance to pull these cannons. So uh, they sent a lot of stallions from England to the different countries. Italy, Spain, Italy, and, uh, it was a big buyer. Uh, Spain, the North Star breed in Hungary, they talk about. Well, the North Star was a hackney horse. Oh. So, you see, this is how it goes. Um, and then how how did the Dutch, like, uh, at the, the time, Dutch, how did the Dutch, what were the Dutch breeding? Well, the Dutch have always liked a harness horse. You know, they've always drove. Uh, and they, they like style, they like flash and dash, maybe not a lot of bling, but... Um, and they were breeding these Gelderlanders, or Gelders as they called them, uh, and the Gornigans. Gornigans were a much heavier, deeper-bodied horse, more for farming, more for heavy land. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the Gelderlanders were a big, tall horse. They were coarse, very coarse uh, horse. Um, not the prettiest, ugly heads. And uh, roachback, hip bones, you know, cave um, outline, you know. Yeah. Uh, r- rather than a convex one, and uh, th- no, they they weren't pretty. I I remember the, the days, and they were very very ugly. Um, yeah. but, but you see, Cambridge Cole's mother, Cambridge Madge, was simply beautiful. Mm-hmm. She had the most beautiful body, and she had the most lovely, what they would call a riding horse front. She had this beautiful long neck and elegant, well, I don't think it was elegant, it was a pretty, pretty head, but she had this yeah. beautiful uh, front end on her. Um, and that is what Cambridge Cole departed on the Dutch harness horse. So when I would see Dutch harness horses, um, I, I would see them, and I'd say, "Oh my God, look at this! It's got there's there's Madge. There's her. Yeah. Uh, there's look at that. Dip, there's her father was um, Martin or uh, Walton diplomat. See Walton, 
I'll give you, get this straight for the people. Cambridge Coal was by Walton Searchlight out of Walton Dip, out of Cambridge Madge was his mother. She was sired by Walton Diplomat. Walton mm-hmm. Diplomat and Walton Searchlight were half brothers. They mm-hmm. were both out of a 14 one hand chestnut hackney mare called Walton Beauty. 14 now, Walt- hands? Yes. Now, Walton Searchlight, the, the sire of Cambridge Coal, yeah. was by Kentmere Searchlight, who was 16 one hands. Oh, okay. So, you see, you can get throwbacks for nine generations. So, there's where yeah. the size came from. Diplomat would be around 15, too. Yeah. And, and, and then so, with Diplomat, oh, yes. Go ahead. With Diplomat, ahead. And Diplomat had a different hindquarter than Searchlight. Searchlight yeah. was split up behind. Yeah. You could run your hand up between his back legs. You could run up a pipe. You didn't on Diplomat. Diplomat, you didn't go up very far. Diplomat had, had, had much more of a, a square, an apple bum, as we would say, yeah. uh, with, with great strength and, and good hawks. So that's, that's what, where that contribution came in. Um, and then how did Cambridge Cole end up going to Holland? Like, Was he purchased what? specifically for a breeding stallion? Well, let me get on to that. So, okay. anyway, in 1971, yeah. at the National Hackney Show, well, Cambridge Cole was born. He was Madge's baby. He was yeah. born in 1971. He had a sister that ended up in Holland called Cambridge Jane, but she was by Hurstwood Consul, but she was born in 1970. The 1971 fall of Cambridge Madge was Cambridge Cole. Showed him at the Hackney Show. Roy McDonald, the stud groom at Hayden's, he always showed his mares, and uh, I was uh, groomed and uh, showed Cambridge the Madge's baby that year. And, oh, so um, I, So anyway, when we, I was getting them ready to, to grooming them, uh, I got Madge groomed, and Jenny Smith came in and braided her mane. And so then Cambridge Cole was lying as you went in the door. To, I, I can still see him there. Lying to the right of the door in the straw. And I wanted him up out of the straw because, you know, a little warm body and he gets all those imprints of the straw in his, head, in his hide, you see. Right. So I wanted to get that out of there, but he would not get up. I uh-huh. tried and I pushed. And Jenny Smith was no weakling. And she and I both tried. He would not get up. He was just stuck to the straw. So Jenny got down on her hands and knees, and she braided him lying in the straw as a fool. <laughs> so anyway, by the time it came to show Madge, we got him up, and I did my best to get the straw marks out of his hide, and yeah. uh, went in and uh, showed Madge. Roy had Madge, and I had the baby, and uh, showed them in the, the broodmare pro class, won that, and uh, she went on to be champion mayor, etc. Uh, I mean, she was just so darn beautiful. But... Yeah. She did not. They tried her in harness. And I said to um, the uh, assistant trainer there, George Freeman, I said, how was Madge in harness? And he said, Barry, she was as cold as Christmas. She couldn't <laughs> pull the skin off a rice pudding. <laughs> so they, you, they, they, of course, she didn't make a, a show star. So they, they bred her. Uh, and over the years, they got a lot of cold spots. There was another one, really nice one older than than uh, what became Cambridge Cole, called, uh, uh, we called him Dennis the Menace. He just would never leave anything alone. Um, and he went to South Africa, magically. Yeah. Um, 
so, and he was a lovely, nice, big, bay, upstanding front of Holt with a strike. He was a, a very nice colt, but he went to South Africa. So anyway, uh, the next year, when he was a yearling, came this Madge's baby was sold to Holland. And then, by then, he'd been registered. So he, was, he was bred by Jim Runciman, and his stud uh, prefix was Cambridge. And mm-hmm. uh, so, and he was a veterinarian. And the baby was a yearling then and had the name Cambridge Cole, and he was sold on to, on to Holland, you see. And Mr. Hayden had a funny deal, and I never really understood how it worked, but obviously he got away with it. If you bought a colt from him and took it from, and, and was such, it was such and such a price, but if the colt passed the curring and was accepted into the stud book, etc., then you owed more money on the colt. <laughs> they are and, true horse dealers, huh? And uh, I've heard other people try that, but anyway, he did that. So that's what I heard about that. But, uh, you know, then Cambridge Cole had to, uh, you know, he was only a yearling when he went there. Right. So, uh, and then, you know, he, he uh, then when he started breeding, um, his first real star was a horse called Renovo. Mm-hmm. And he was a dark brown horse and a beautiful, beautiful horse. And you could just see where the smooth body of Cambridge Cole and of, of Madge and uh, the hindquarters of Walton Diplomat. You could just see where they came into uh, Renovo and had smoothed out the very rough, jagged edges, which were traditionally the confirmation of a Dutch harness or of, of a Gelderlander now. Right. And so, so that's what started. So this was the, the exciting new cross was Cambridge Cole on the, on the Gelderlanders and Renovo, and then Renovo became a big sire, and then you had uh, Alfred B. was another uh, top harness horse by um, Cambridge Cole, and uh, it just became a whole uh, stream of, of champions by Cambridge Cole. He just clicked so well with the Gelderlander breed and was turning out these horses and improving the confirmation of them and putting action. You see, Gelderlander, the old Gelderlanders that I remember seeing, hawks were very high off the ground. They're very coarse hawks, and they had a long back cannon boat. And uh, they they didn't bend their knee as we think of them as we see the Dutch harness horse today. That came from Cambridge Cole. They mm-hmm. were very straight. Uh, they sort of shot the of uh, Action straight from the shoulder. It went straight out, more like, like an hunterings. Hunter, yeah, hunter, well, higher than that, higher. But but yeah. it, they didn't. They didn't. There was no curl to it. You know, as we yeah. see today. From the shoulder, and, they came out from the shoulder yeah, rather than the. Yeah, and and um, it was a convex frame, not a. It was a concave frame, yeah. was sort of turkey neck, not a concave frame that you want to see with the lowering of the hindquarters and the, and the coming with the withers coming out of the shoulder blades and then out of the top of the neck that you get today. That was that's that's the Cambridge coal line. That's that influence. The old Geller letters were a concave frame. And it's amazing that just that little like that little touch of Hackney back at that time really changed the whole breed to be like uh yeah oh yeah yeah much more like high stepping show horse versus uh more of a utilitarian horse yes i mean that they they used them on farm work the gelderlanders were were farm work and they and they had these big old wagons these utrecht type wagons that you'll see them on in the traditional classes um and, of course, if you look at a pedigree of a Dutch harness horse, you just look and see how many different crosses 
times do you see Dutch uh, Cambridge coal in that pedigree? Right, I saw uh, all the time. You know, it's yeah, like... there's, uh, all throughout. And then there's other horses that hackneys that they used: Brookacre Silver Soul, a uh, chestnut roan horse. Mister uh, Heineken had. Um, he was cold. Uh, he they used him a bit, and he was a big horse, but he yeah. he wasn't as successful. Brown's Liberty Light. Um, straight neck horse. Um, he he wasn't a successful horse. So they got some useful horses by Holly Park was wanted. Um, yeah. And put a nice harness horse front end on them and stuff. Um, but Cambridge Cole was the one that was the star. And when I, I went to see him when he was 17 years old. Um, you did? I hadn't seen him you know, in all those years, but I was over there looking at horses and things, and I just was near where he was at Epa, and I just said, um, I've got to go see Cole, and uh, so I went and saw the old boy, and oh. uh, he was. And, and you know, there's certain things that when you work with horses that you just notice. And Searchlight and and Diplomat had a certain type of an eye socket, mm-hmm. and it was the, the bony eye socket. And and you will see that in the Dutch harness horse, and you think, well, the old Gevelenders never had that. Yeah, you know. And yeah. the thing that that Walton diplomat had, he had a pole. When he stood there, at the top behind his ears, he did not come at an angle. He went mm-hmm. horizontal for about seven inches, mm-hmm. and then the neck went sloped. So he had that natural. He had that lovely pole. Yes, he just right. naturally, naturally bridled. Right, right. And, so that's what know, makes what must make them so easy to for them to carry themselves like that. Yes. Oh, yes. Everybody used to wonder how does Mrs. Hayden get these horses to, to bridle so beautifully yeah. and sit up there and weather yeah. here. She had Walton. She had Silver Nick, um, yeah. Arden Glass Marquis, um, Outward Matire. I mean, they all just sat up there easy as could be and put those ears up, never dropped an ear. Well, she bred for it. Yeah. That's what. That's and then what, breeding them to like a nice. Like something with a little bit of a calmer temperament than a hackney. Cole was not. Cole was was very calm. He was not a Spitfire hackney. The Gelder riders oh, were the hot ones. Oh, oh yeah, you rattle a, you, you rattle something, and you'll never see a neck grow so long in your life as the Gelder riders' <laughs> neck and take off. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, but so he he was calm. Mad was calm. So. So that that helped the, the rattle headedness of of the Gelderlanders that the you know, but uh, Mary, I love your stories. These are so great, and you'll have to come back on and join us again. We can talk about uh, like maybe more of like what the Hackney breed has come today, or uh, I know you're really big in the Morgans too. So I love this history, and uh, and you'll have to come back and join us again. Okay, I would be more than happy to. Well, now it's time for our ADS segment for this month, and we have Lauren Reese here, who's going to talk about everybody's favorite topic at the beginning of every year, and that's rule changes. We all <laughs> love change. So, Lauren, what do we got for rule changes for the ADS this year? Okay, well, I think the drivers will be happy with the rule changes we have this year. Um, most of them will make their lives easier and not harder. So we that's like all that. We Yeah, that is a very good thing. Um, So the first rule change that went through um, was in addition to our junior driver category, and which before we allowed or we demanded, uh, required that a young driver have a knowledgeable horse person with them. 
um, any driver under the age 10. Well, last year we have a junior driver who was six years old driving and he was driving a pair. Oh, so, so darn cute. And uh, his father asked if we could do a rule change so that not only could he be on the carriage with his son, but they could also have a navigator on the back, um, which was an absolute great safety idea. We'd never thought of it because we'd never had a six-year-old driving pairs before. Um, <laughs> so we did put in a, a rule change that says uh, the knowledgeable adult horseman, um, as requested above, maybe the groom when one is required, or it can be an additional person. Um, and we also added that that additional person would have to uh, obey the same rules as a groom. So they couldn't do, you know, they can't get off. They can't assist in any other way without the penalty that the groom would get. So mm-hmm. um, we call that the Ashton May rule because he's our little six-year-old driver. Oh, um, so cute. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a good thing. Um, the other, the next one uh, was just saying that the, at a ADS sleigh rally, that they don't necessarily have to have a um, ADS licensed official. And the reason mm-hmm. that went through is because sleigh rallies are so dependent upon snow. Right. Um, and we often don't know until the last minute whether or not we're going to have snow. And to have them hire a judge and bring in a judge and then they're not being snow is just uh, just very difficult. So we made that mm-hmm. exception for sleigh rallies. So again, that's a good thing for um, the drivers. Um, Number three uh, was just to, we, last year we instituted our pony measurement program um, so that all of our ponies and BSEs now have to have a card saying that they are below um, horse size. We put in a rule change this year saying that they cannot be protested. They cannot be challenged. Um, and that was just to clean that up so that uh, people weren't going from one uh, official to another trying to get their horse ruled until they got one that they really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was the easy peasy one. Yeah. Um, one of the most exciting ones that we did is we now allow pneumatic tires to be used up through intermediate. In the past, we only allowed pneumatic tires to be used um, by our para drivers and in our training division. Mm-hmm. And now um, we allow it through training prelim and intermediate. And we have this funky language in there as long as they're mounted and it's engineered to be used on a carriage. Um, and that was the best language we can come up with. We don't want somebody with a bicycle wheel or a wheelbarrow wheel. Um, right. It has to be a regular carriage design pneumatic wheel. But right. um, that's a really popular rule change, especially here in Florida, where a lot of the people drive um, on a lot of sand. Yeah. Um, this just makes it so much easier. So now those are legal all the way up through intermediate. That's um, great. So, what a great yeah, rule. Very popular rule change. Mm-hmm. Um, and another popular one um, that was a little confusing uh, talks about bandages and brushing boots in dressage. And there's always been a rule on the book that bandages and brushing 
boots are not permitted in dressage and there's been a 10 point penalty. Well, the officials were all over the board on whether that applied to hoof boots, the boots that actually replace, no, the boots that replace shoes. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Glenn uses those. Yeah. I use those. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of our VSC and pony people use those a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we had some judges that considered that not legal and would uh, penalize them 10 points. We had other judges that thought that was okay. Um, so there was a rule presented saying, you know, okay, we're going to clean up this language. We're going to say they are not allowed. And if they're worn, they get a 10 points. So everybody's on the same page. Well, once that rule came out and we started discussing it, we said, you know, why not? Why can't they wear hoof protective, um, boots? Um, some of the cons were that, well, it could disguise a lameness. Well, frankly, shoeing can disguise unsoundness as well. So we clarify that. And so now we have an ADS exception that says hoof boots that cover the sole of the hoof are permitted. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So now all of our judges and TDs and competitors will all be on the same page. And if you have uh, if we have dressage in a little rocky area or cones, um, people can put the boots on and protect their horses. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the really my two favorite rule changes. Um, a couple of the other ones that we had were we have deleted all the um, the Europe the American measurements. There's a word that I want, but I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. We've gone to all metric measurements. In oh, great. Our yeah. Yeah. So all of our pleasure driving uh, rules are now in in metric and in kilometers now instead of miles per hour and feet and inches. So that's standardized. And as a TD, that's just wonderful because yeah. I don't have to convert anymore. And right. if somebody says 14 kph and I'm at a pleasure show, I don't have to try to do the math in my head, which was always bad. <laughs> and those are the biggies. We had another one about our carriage dog class in pleasure shows. Um, and we are no longer allowing them to run behind or beside the axle of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was put in for safety. So the carriage right. dogs have to be on the vehicle. And frankly, in, in my years, I have never seen um, a dog running beside the axle in a carriage dog class. So they're not um, allowed they're, under the wheel either. That's not allowed. Well, the, People with coaches and Dalmatians like to do that because the Dalmatians used to run under there. Right. <laughs> it's fun to see, but there's like, it's so rare that it's probably better for safety to just do that. Yeah. And, you know, in a coaching competition, it would probably, you know, they probably still have those. But in our right. care driving competitions, um, yeah, we just want to keep them all on the carriage because. It, yeah. You don't want someone trying to drag their Shih Tzu along on the ground, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they should be they, in the they, carriage. They jump out of the carriage and their leash is too short. You know, it's just, <laughs> Our greyhound's not very down. bright either. She'd be under the wheels. That would be all of it. Yeah. She could be going thump, 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 thump under the wheels. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. get it. <laughs> Makes for a bumpy ride. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> So those are the the uh, rule changes for this year. So they were uh, 
the ones that were the proposals that were highly controversial did not pass um, the board. So the board listened to the people um, and passed the ones that the people wanted and the others uh, were tabled for some future time. I think that's and great. I think all those rules seem like very like uh, friendly to introduce new people to driving and release a lot of restrictions that may have kept people out. And I think, uh, I think that's a wonderful move forward. And so Lauren, how can people find out more about this? Okay. So if they go on the ADS website um, and go onto the rule book um, page, which is clicked right on from the, from the main menu. Um, there's these rule changes are all written out in red line. The new rule book is there to be downloaded. The new information for the new rule book is there so that you can order it. And by the way, the new rule book is about 30 page pages thinner than the old one. Okay. So, um, we've done a lot to streamline that. So that's great. And the other thing that's there is the rule suggestion form because it's February and we're open for business now again um, for rule <laughs> suggestions for 2022. So, oh my gosh, um, they don't give you a break, huh? They keep oh, you working. Oh no, all I don't have a break. <laughs> so um, here we go again. But uh, yeah, so if everybody checks that out and they have ideas for rule changes they'd like to see, get those suggestions in. AmericanDrivingSociety.org. That's where you can find it all. Well, it's hard to believe it, but it's the 50th anniversary of the Martin's Spring Carriage Auction. And uh, anybody that's ever been up to Martin's knows that it is just such a fun time. And not only is it fun and you can buy things, but also it's a huge educational experience. And really it helps us remember our history. Like all this stuff can be lost if we don't keep uh, supporting people that collect carriages. So it's a, a really fun annual event for everyone. And now Wendy, this before year, you go on, I'm just adding this up. And doesn't that make Paul about a hundred years old? No, he, <laughs> he looks great Once for his age. Yeah, he looks great. <laughs> Once in a while this I feel year, that. <laughs> This year is very exciting because for those of you that can't make it up to the auction in person, there's also an online option. So uh, Polly and Karen are here to join us and tell us all about it. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Hi there. Thanks for having us. Well, I bet it's hard for you guys to believe it's been 50 years, huh? Say that once again. I bet it's hard for you guys to even believe it's been 50 years. Well, it's like, like everything else, it goes fast, and the horses get a longer tooth on them. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's gone by really quickly. It really has. And um, for those of you who have never been to the auction, uh, there's there's like a, a Friday night session that's cataloged, right? So what does that mean, the catalog session? Well, uh we used to be, uh, Wendy, as you remember, we, we would sell Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday with uh, four to 500 carriages. And mm-hmm. that, that's all changed around, obviously. So bringing it up to speed to, to last year and this year, uh, with COVID last year, uh, we were able to run an online sale only. Normally, it's in April. We did that in May. 
Uh, we had uh, approximately 40 carriages, and we had uh, about 80 lots of carriage appointments and horse appointments. And uh, so that went real well for us. We've done a few other online sales before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we had the uh, uh, Desiree Herman and uh, John Cuneo collection that uh, they want to have a sale in Florida for that. We tried twice, but things were peaking down there at the time. So we shipped all that to Pennsylvania, which is a little bit more open in July. Mm-hmm. And we did an online sale there where people could bid online. And also we were live at uh, uh, facilities in New Holland where we had our ring displayed. And uh, the online sale, uh, we had tried to take six to eight or 10 photos of all the each vehicle mm-hmm. and uh, appointments. We had plenty of photographs on each one of them with descriptions on our internet bidding online. And then uh, people could personally inter- uh, look at the items at our sale, which we held on a Saturday. I believe it was July the 24th of 2020. And so we had interest from all of North America and a little bit from Europe, which was good. And then we came back with our fall sale in October, which is also our annual sale. And we did a one day there with, uh, we had a great collection of coaches and carriages and we limited what we could do on each sale. So we had about a hundred. We started at nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, we had approximately, uh, 200 lots of non-cataloged appointments, which mm-hmm. you would have to be here to see that yeah. and bid live and what we call bidding live. And then, uh, 12 noon, we went on to the carriages and we mixed appointments in between each carriage and coach. Um, and we, like I said, we had about, uh, 80 online carriages, wow. coaches. Um, and we did approximately again, um, 240 lots of appointments. So it went quite well for us. We, we finished that up approximately 6.30 in the evening, Friday evening. So as far as our 40th, uh, excuse me, our 50th anniversary this year, uh, with still COVID in effect and all these guidelines, we're, we're continuing to do the same thing as we done in October. We hope to do a a one-day sale. Uh, it's not all the big items we used to sell in the field on our Saturday session. The last several years, we'd run three to 4,000 lots in the field with six, eight auctioneers simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing that. It'll be a limited amount of carriages consigned and appointments be signed, consigned. And we'll run a, on the same thing. We want to do what we call a live auction. Uh, if our state lets us and also we will be doing it online so that'll be in uh, april the 23rd on a friday and how Uh, can people how do how does the online part work like is are they watching you on video calling all the the bids yes oh Um, exciting what we we did we had a camera for the auction on the auctioneer and there's two screens that you'll, you can see. You can see one screen uh, simultaneously. You can see them with how the bidding is going. Mm-hmm. And then you have to learn how to bid online. Mm-hmm. And then you can see the auctioneer uh, also selling the items and describing them. Uh, we might be able to format a little bit differently this year uh, with the descriptions or pictures of the vehicles. 
mm-hmm. um, this year also as we're we're doing the auctioneering. I'm I'm so glad that there's the auctioneer on video because to me really that is like so exciting. That's the most exciting part of the auction. You know, I love when the, when you call them. Well, <laughs> and and we talked about it when we did our first uh, uh, April sale last year, and can, we did in May then. But what we did there was uh, there was talk about using the camera. Some auctioneers do, some don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just said I'm going to uh, focus on the auctioneer because um, the result came out very good. People said, geez, you know, we felt we were there. Right. Uh, they could see me auctioneering. Uh, and it was more exciting to them than just looking at a screen where the prices are coming up, et cetera. Right. And so if it's people want, yeah, if people want to see the, the, uh, cataloged entries that are going to come up and they want to learn how to bid, where can they go to find that? Okay. That will be on our website. Uh, normally we have it on, we try and get it on about three weeks before the sale mm-hmm. and, uh, two to three weeks. And you'll be able to go through our website. Uh, we used high bid platform last year, and we'll probably continue that this year. So they'll be able to look at six, eight, or ten pictures uh, of the coaches and carriages, especially. And then they'll be on the appointments, depending what it is. We'll have a number of multiple pictures of that mm-hmm. with uh, with descriptions. And then also, uh, they can contact our office for, I mean, we had some people from Europe that wanted uh, more photographs and information on some of the coaches right. and stuff. So, uh, they and that's at martinauctioneer.com. Uh, our email address is martinauctioneers at frontiernet.net. Okay. And that's probably the best way to get a hold of us. And Wendy, we do appreciate the phone numbers with that. Uh, it's a lot easier for us to get back a lot quicker with some questions and answers. Okay. And oh, so Wendy, your... too, if yeah. they want to go on, it's martinauctioneers.com. There is the website. And then there'll be some instructions on there as to where you can go and look at the photo gallery. If you just follow through some of yeah. that, you can see the photo gallery. And then it'll give um, more instructions um, as to how to go to the highbid.com platform. Um, and you have to go on there, register, and set up prior to the auction yeah. um, and get approved. And like then, getting your number, right? It's absolutely, like getting your number. Absolutely. It's just the same. It's just a little, a little different way to do it. So okay. those are the things you can do. If you have a call, you can always give us a call or email us. Um, and, you know, each platform is different. So sometimes there's some little bugs for people to work out and understand. But eventually everybody gets a hang of it. And we've had pretty good success so far. And then your catalog deadline this year is Friday, February 26th. So people still have time to get something in if they have that super special carriage they're looking to put in the auction. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, uh, the catalog, uh, what happened last year was we had some people that only send us one or two photographs. They weren't real good photographs. We had still put a catalog together with them particular items, which there was like 26 of them. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh 60 some that were, uh, we had a lot more descriptions and photographs that were on the online sale and live. So if they really mm-hmm. want to get on the online sale with their vehicles or appointments, we need good pictures ahead of time right. so we can put that on the online sale. We'll still do that. 
know a lot of people like the catalog. Yeah. And uh, we try and send them out also. And also on our website, we do try and photograph uh, at least one photo of all the carriages, whether they're uh, online and live or just in the catalog and at the auction, uh, which is live. And then we also get some that people don't even, we don't even put them uh, in the catalog. And they'll mm-hmm. be the first one sold, maybe 30 or 40 of them sometimes we get. And we try okay. and put them photographs also on our website. Great. Well, this sounds like it's going to be a really exciting time. And I think, you know, unfortunately, COVID's affected us all with the way we do things. But at least this has opened up the ability for more people to attend. They can attend online. So thanks, yeah, guys, so much for everything. Yeah, I mean, we've sent uh, from this uh, fall sale in October, the way we did, like I say, it'll be basically the same in the spring. We send items to, uh, shipped items to Europe and all over North America. Uh, Like the Canadians, it's very difficult for them to come down. But Mm -hmm. we did sell things to the Canadians online, uh, and then we had them shipped to them. So uh, there's a lot of... We had people from California came in, and we shipped things also there, Wendy. Super. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, I guys, think, and uh, congratulations. Have a great time. Thank you, Glenn and Wendy. We really appreciate it. It gives just everybody a lot of options today, so we're we're glad everybody's adapting with the changes along with us. Well, I wanted to remind everybody that tomorrow is Friday, which means it is Really Bad Ads Day. And I love Really Bad Ads. You know what? It's even more special because we're giving away the prizes for the month. We have $500 in prizes we're giving away tomorrow. So you have one day. You have today left to get your entries in to be included in this month's prize drawing. And we will draw from the names of everybody that submitted ads, and we will give away $500 in prizes. So send your ad, your Really Bad Ads to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com don't post them on our facebook don't don't do that uh, because we could miss them so just send them to jennifer at horseradionetwork.com you can find links to today's guests in the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com or right there on your player you can find wendy at drwendying.com and don't forget it's drwendying.com and what was the product of the of the month equine do ho spell it for everybody Oh, spell it. Okay. Equine. Equine. Do, D-U, new word, H-U-O. That's what you search for when you get to drwendaying.com. And we'll put links to everything in our show notes as well. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook as well. Search for Horses in the Morning. And all the Horse Radio Network shows are available on our own Horse Radio Network app, iPhone or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. And that is it for this month, Wendy. All right. Remember, keep the shiny side up.